Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're looking at the nation's capital in Washington, D.C., a city all dressed up and filled to capacity to celebrate the inauguration of George Herbert Walker Bush as the 41st President of the United States. The South Carolina State Park Correctional Center has the godfather of soul on ice. You don't see a half-clad woman dancing in front of burning crosses all that often on television. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. All right, we're back once again. Yes, it's time for the Decibel Geek Podcast. It's going to be the end of the year, but we're going on with a bang. I'm Aaron Camaro. That's Chris Sinzak. And man, have we been busy lately. Super busy. That's why. Super busy. That's why if you're a subscriber, you're hearing this a day late. But, yeah. And we'll go ahead and tell you, next week will be a day late also. <laughs> because. We got it's lives. Time, it's just that time of year, it's, you know? Yeah, holiday season. Aaron and I both have families and full-time jobs and all that good stuff, and we have a lot on our plate, and we've also been doing Decibel Geek stuff over the past Yeah, I've been doing a lot of Decibel Geek stuff. We're planning into the new year already. Already. Already got stuff lined up, and uh, we promised that it'll be worth the wait. And it's been a while since we've done a, a year in review, so this yeah, is a, a big we're due one. for it, you know. And as you guys know, we always put a lot of work into these years in review, and we always have a good time doing it. We our aim is to be, you know, educational and entertaining at the same time, kind of looking at the whole year yeah. in review through the eyes of rock and roll. You know, from a standpoint of we're looking at what albums came out, along with the kind of cool stuff that happened yeah, that and year, pop culture, news stories, yeah. all that stuff. It's a trip down memory lane, and you know I put up, and I think I may just continue to do this route in the future. Just put up a poll on the fan page, Facebook.com/slash/decibelgeek, and ask, you know, give like three or four years and let the people pick. And, yeah. And this week is 1989, 
and that's what I, that's what you guys picked pretty pretty much overwhelmingly. So yeah, it's a good year. Yeah, there's it's, a lot of great stuff in 1989. Oh man, we could have. I mean, we could, we could always make these more than two parts, but that's kind of the challenge. You know, we want to just break them into two one half of the year and the other half. And then uh, I had somebody in the fan page say, "Well, why don't you do more than two? And I'm like, "Well, because that's where you guys come in and tell us what we missed." Right? Yeah, that's always fun to go back after the show's released and then have go to the Facebook page where the community is happening and listen to everybody go, "How could you leave right. out this? And how could you do a year in review about '89 without that? You know, right. it's great. We love that, and we we agree with you. Yeah, that, totally. Because we agonize over our picks for this every yeah, time. Yeah, we do. I mean, we we each pick a, a handful of songs to showcase, and when it's all said and done. We feel the same way, yeah. you know. We couldn't do, but you know, we can always go back and do like a part three on these years anytime. Or the radio revisited thing. We yeah, haven't done that haven't in forever. <laughs> and those are fun that was to do. A, that was a one and done, I think. That was fun it? to do. Yeah, to pretend you're cool. back in the year. So, um, before we get into the year '89, the year, let's do geeks of the week. These are the people that shared and retweeted last week's episode, the Ride for Dime episode. Yeah, we had a lot of great guests on that episode. I want to thank Nick Cantonese for being on there. Jose from yep. X Serious XM Radio was there. You know, he's a he's a metalhead through and through. You yep. know, we talked to uh, Nick Bocott, Nick Bocott was on the show. Yep. You know, and of course, of course Chad. Chad Lee and yep. and all the great people that that were a part of that. And so much fun that day. And we can't wait to do it again next year. Yeah, I'll definitely be there next year. All right, so Geeks of the Week is Todd Cunningham, Joe Lascon, Brad Kalmanson, David Alpazar, Howard Tate, Brent Tibbetts, Derek Novak, PJ Brown, Mike Blunt, Lee Maslin of the Audio Junkies Podcast, Brent Walter, Liz Tweedy, Warren Money, Rodney Dixon, Brant Cattell, Chad Pollock, Chad Lee, Nick Catanese, Jose Mangan, right on. Hoops, Billy Hardaway, Music Mags and Wax, Darren Wayne Gibson, Nonsensicast Radio, Raw Magazine, Hot Metal Magazine, Loudmouth, and Faces Rocks Magazine. So cool. We thank you guys so much for being our marketing team because we're just two guys outside of Nashville, Tennessee, right. and we're we're just, you know, doing cool stuff like uh, getting to go meet some of our rock legend heroes and, you know, bringing the stories back and sharing them with you guys. And, you know, so we don't have a huge marketing team or anything like that. So we rely on you and we appreciate That's you right. so much. We can only fly our concert, you know, parking lot so often, <laughs> which is what we did the other night. We sure did. That should be a bonus track. But, um, yeah, so let's just get on with it. Uh, so I guess I need to break out my uh, 89 facts, Yeah, right? the way we always start the show, with Chris's facts of the year, the most important stuff. Okay, I don't have bacon. We'll have to do bacon next week. We do have bacon. Or do we do you do? Oh, you have bacon. Okay. Look, it's on there. It is. Oh, oh yes, it is. Okay, sorry, guys. Uh, average cost of a new house in 1989, $120,000. Average income per year is 27450 Yeah. Average monthly rent was 420, 420. 420 in 89. A gallon of gas was 97 cents and the average price of bacon was $1.75 per pound. Not bad, man. Salad days. It always it it, it kind of blows my mind, but it's been consistent through all these years that bacon always is more valuable than gasoline. Yeah, that's true. You know, even to this day. Bacon w is Would more you expensive. rather have a gallon of gas or a pound of bacon? When it comes on down to it, you know, <laughs> you <laughs> Uh, or you could have bacon, a, what how is it bacon will get you through times of no gas better than gas will get you through times of no bacon <laughs> true and bacon also can reverts or converts into gas after you eat it there you go there you go see circle of life it all comes together <laughs> in 1989 1989 okay so uh let's go into january let's see january 20th george herbert walker bush as you heard in the Intro was uh, inaugurated as our 40, 41st U.S. president, and 
Either you love that or you hate that, depending on what side of the aisle you sit on. Right, you know, I don't... Yeah. <laughs> on guess, to the next story. I guess we'll just keep on going. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's get back to more music <laughs> stories. Here's one for you. James Brown, you know, the, the godfather, you know, he's uh, sentenced in Georgia to six years in jail in connection with pol- a police chase that rolls through two different states. Yeah, I, remember I remember this. It. it was huge in the news, you know. He was, he'd gone crazy. Well, cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> There's an interview with him. I was, you know, when I go through all the stuff to get clips for the uh, for the intro and stuff, and there's a video of an interview with him with CNN around this time, and it was after right after he got arrested, and the girl, the woman interviewing him was like, um, "Mr. Brown, it's nice to have you on the show, and looks like you've been into some some real trouble lately." And he, his response was, living in America. <laughs> and then she's, there's like 10 seconds of silence. And he's like, come on. And she's like, well, Mr. Brown, I don't know how to react to that. You just got arrested. He's like, I'm fine. And he, he's, he's blitzed out of his mind. He's no longer with us, but he was fun back in the day. man. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so uh, It wasn't real good to be James Brown in 1989, but you know who was really good to be in 89? John Bon Jovi. And especially if you're friends with John Bon Jovi, because Bon Jovi and Dave the Snake Sabo had been friends since they were young, and they made a deal way back then that said whoever made it big first would help the other one out. So by the late 80s, like I said, Bon Jovi was in a position to offer a lot of help, and uh, hiring Sebastian Bach on as a lead singer didn't hurt their chances either. So after playing for a while on the East Coast, they get picked up by rock manager extraordinaire Doc McGee and signed to Atlantic Records. From there, it's off to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, with the (laughs) one and only Michael Wagner, and this is the result. Kicking off 1989 the right way. Skid Row debut album comes out in January. Amazing album. You know what? If we were doing a list of best debut albums, I'd put that one up there pretty high. I remember getting, I got uh, that cassette tape for Christmas in 1989. Yeah. And I remember, I, I gosh, I must have played it a hundred times in a row when I, I got you. it. And just loved it. Yeah. And although, and like... That was my favorite song was Big Guns. Yeah, I always yeah. like that one, Piece of Me. You know, the whole thing, it's it's great songs from a super cool band. The guitar combo of Sabo and Scotty Hillers, I still say, is very underrated as far as guitar combos. Yeah. You got to put those guys right up there. You know, and of course, the one-of-a-kind, mind-blowing vocals from Sebastian Bach, who, you know, back in 89, he played the role of the young, hard-partying, brash, loud, badass to a T. You know, I'll now never, he's I, the old hard partying badass. Yeah, <laughs> he's still he's still out there doing it. You know, and doing it in style. You know, who can forget the VHS? Oh, say can you scream? Uh, yeah, I mean, I watched the hell out of that over and over. Remember 
where when they the, the deal with the bottle, somebody threw the bottle up on oh, the stage, bottle incident, and yeah. it busted him in the busted Sebastian Bach in the head, and he got mad and went to throw it back at yep. the guy and hit the wrong person, then yep. jumped in the crowd and beat the guy's ass. Right. And, oh man, that yeah, was it's on chaos. YouTube. But that yeah, that VHS you watch that and go, wow, these guys are badass. You know, yep. the uh, the AIDS kills fags dead T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Man, that was that was something. You know, he got a lot of he heat got a for lot that, of trouble for you know? that. But yeah, that, again, that was Sebastian Bach being Sebastian Bach and. The girls, you know, yeah. the girls love the guy. My wife still is in love with him. Yeah, he was the pinup model of that of that era for sure. And then, you know, I think Doc McGee put it best with Sebastian as uh, low IQ, high RPM. There you go. <laughs> you know? Add all that together with the stellar production and you can't lose, you know. We're going to find out as we go through 1989 yeah. that there's... Some of the best produced albums of all time yeah, came out in '89. Definitely, and um, so, so hell of a way to start out. Skid Row debut album. Yeah, that's January, and let's move on into February. And on February 10th, I know Aaron would be interested in this story. To gain deregulation, the WWF admits that pro wrestling is an exhibition and not a sport in a New Jersey court. And what thousands of kids' dreams were shattered. What are you talking about? I don't remember that. That's what it's, you better uh, check your facts. I'm I'm pretty sure. Uh, my facts are rock solid. Yeah, I'm pretty sure professional wrestling's real, my friend. It's still real you to better, me, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> think you better get the uh, fact department in on that one. I don't I don't recall that story at all. I still remember I had an uncle who was a ring announcer and for when I was a kid, as I got older, I'd be like, "Come on, it's not real." And he's like, "No, I promise you it's real. I wouldn't lie to you." Yeah. <laughs> and then he takes me to an exhibition and I see a guy throw a, an elbow goes down right next to the guy's neck on the ground hits the mat and I goes, "Oh!" And then me and my brother looked at each other and we're like, "Oh my god, what is this? It's not real." Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was, it I spent my, my whole young life was spent with my dad like wrecking it for me on a normal basis all the time. Oh, dad, really? Why are you watching that garbage? It's, it's not, fake. It's, it's not even real. <laughs> you know, talking about like you know wrestling being huge business back then in the entertainment. Um, in 89, a lot of albums are selling a lot of copies. You know, this is like the, some of the prime years for being for a hard band. hard rock and metal, especially. You yeah. know, even, you know, talking about Skid Row a minute ago, number six on the U.S. Billboard album charts, number 40 at least in all the major music markets everywhere in the world with that one. Of course, the huge hit singles, I Remember You, went to number six, 18 in Life. You know, everybody knows that huge, song, yeah. number four. This is the uh, highest selling album ever released by Skid Row. Yeah, it is. So, you know, a lot of big selling albums. Another one moving on into February, a great album that came out, The Great Radio Controversy by Tesla. Mm -hmm. Now, this is their follow-up to their 86 debut album, uh, Mechanical Resonance. And uh, after touring for three years supporting bands like Def Leppard, Poison, David Lee Roth, and Alice Cooper, Tesla's back with this one. Great album, The Great Radio Controversy.
Frank Hannon there on guitar. Hell yeah. Tesla was a band that found a lot of great success in the late 80s. But, you know, like I said, talking about some of those bands they toured with, Def Leppard, Poison, David Lee Roth, Alice Cooper, what those guys were doing in 89. Tesla, you know, they're a hard rocking band, but they don't really so much fit in with the rest of the bands that are coming out at that time. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, is there such thing as a Bakersfield sound in metal? Kind of. That's a you good know, way of putting it. Well, but they're kinda, the Sacramento sound, I guess. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this this album's chocked full of great heavy rock tunes. It, it also contains the quintessential 80s love ballad, Love Song. Yeah, I love that song. You know, huge hit. The U.S. is a big U.S. Uh, top 10 hit single with a video and heavy, heavy rotation on MTV. Drives a lot of record sales for these guys. Up next for Tesla, more acoustic jamming. Oh, yeah, then yeah. they're super break- breakthrough at that point. But yeah, this I, one goes yeah. to uh, 18 on the charts. It's the highest-selling album ever released by Tesla. I remember when they the tour they did, they did a tour with Great White that summer. Yeah. And it came through here, and I, I wasn't allowed to go. I was still deemed too young. Oh. I was still I was so pissed off at my parents for that. I bet. I was wanting to see that show badly. So on uh, and staying in February, on February 17th, uh, the rock royalty couple of the video age David Coverdale marries Tawny Catan. Yeah. And uh, all of us that were in puberty at that era know exactly about Tawny. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. And White Sexy White's girl and, rolling around on the cars. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, the, and White Snake with guitars going on all all different directions. It was a great yeah. combination. But, yeah. Hair they to were, the ceiling. Yeah, they both, both of them. them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in stereo. Nice. But, yeah, it was. Uh, they were the quintessential, basically, hair metal couple. They were. They yeah. really were. A good-looking couple. All right, <laughs> let's move into March. A lot of hair product between the two of them. All right, so uh, March 21st, everyone remembers this story. Yeah, this was a pretty big deal because Madonna, back in 89, she really wanted people to think she was a slut. Yeah, well, that yeah. was That was her whole gimmick. She worked hard at it. Really hard. She's <laughs> like, I'm a slut, and I want people to know it. You know, of course, we're talking about the uh, the music video that was taped in late December of 88. It tracks criticism for uh, for its use by the Catholic Church because they, it's got crosses burning in the background, but it's, I don't know, it was a whole crazy situation where she's dancing around half naked in front of burning crosses on, what was it a commercial for? It was, well, the she did the video, it's for the song Like a Prayer. Yeah. And the video had all the stuff with the crosses and right. like a, a black Jesus, you know, behind bars and so controversial at the time it was super controversial but back then but today it probably wouldn't get a second look what a controversial slut there was no twerking at all (laughs) but but so that she did that video for mtv but at the same time did a a clean video for a pepsi campaign okay and it was like her just dancing around with kids and stuff and it was totally clean right she did so they premiered that commercial video on the super bowl that year and like the next day, MTV premieres the the controversial version. Oh, okay. and the minute the Pepsi execs saw that version, they yanked that commercial right away. <laughs> they were like, "We're not, we're not gonna be back this," because like, they knew the they churches were gonna come after. They them. didn't know who Madonna was, right? Well, they had no clue. Corporate America, they're gonna protect their interests. <laughs> but yeah, it was a, it was a huge story. I remember all the outcry over it. Just For a, sure. a massive story, and then. Uh, three days later, a, a bigger story happened with the Exxon Valdez, which was a tanker ship. Oh, man, that was 
it huge. spilled 11 million gallons of crude oil into Alaska's Prince William Sound. That's the first time I can ever, ever remember that happening and being such a big deal where you got the images of the the, the birds oh, so with the oil all tragic. over them and everything, man. Yeah. It was terrible. It was. Uh, I'm not like a super big animal lover. I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not an animal hater. He's an animal hater. But, but I mean, but, but, but <laughs> I but I'm loved not, like, it. I don't run it. I don't walk around in rallies or anything. But like, it's. I remember that story. Just all the images were heartbreaking and yeah. uh, all these animals just dying and then. When I was doing the research for this, I read up on it, and uh, I think they said that every single um, rescue worker that was there yeah. is dead. Oh, wow. Like, they all died because of, I guess, uh, the toxic a, yeah. chemicals. Dang. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. it's and that, That's new information to me because I didn't know it either, but I said the last of the... The workers died like in the past year or so. That's crazy. We're breaking news stories here <laughs> yeah, on Decibel Geek. News. Holy shit. You hear it <laughs> first. That's yeah. not funny. <laughs> um, where's uh, where's the uh, baseline just, for P cells? Well, yeah, let's yeah. just get back to the music, I think. Okay. So uh, it it's time for my first pick of the show. We are in March, and on March 14th, Extreme released their self titled first album. It uh, sold modestly around 300,000 copies, produced by a producer named Mac, who had worked with Queen and ELO, and that influence can come comes through a bit in the sound of this album. Yeah, a little bit. they would go on to do Porno Graffiti after this, and that was their explosive, right. you know, big hit album. This has some really cool songs on it, though, and I remember seeing the video for this song. Extreme did not have a great look at this period, but no. they were they were a little too cheesy at this point. <laughs> and this song is pretty cheesy, but I for nineteen eighty nine, the age I was at, about twelve years old, I thought it was a fun song. This is Extreme with Mother. as well as your ears check out decibel geek on instagram go to instagram.com slash decibel geek and see for yourself get your skis shined up grab a stick of juicy fruit the taste is gonna move you take a sniff pull it out the taste is gonna move you when you pop it in your mouth. Juicy fruit is gonna move you. You choose the salt, it gets right to you. Juicy fruit, the taste, the taste, the taste is gonna move you. Coca-Cola got 
a bar. Yo, yo, this is MC Tone Loke, and now you can reach me live and direct on my brand new Funky Cold Medina Hotline. It's easy, just pick up your phone and call. And if you're one of my lucky randomly selected callers, you get to talk to me, Tone Low. So hurry up and do it, you know what I'm saying? You might be the chosen one. 1-900-909-T-O-N-E. Peace. $2 for the first minute, 45 cents for each additional minute. Kids, get your parents' permission first. Right, we're back into the world of 1989. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. And man, you, Black Sabbath in, in 89. Is it really Black Sabbath? I thought, I think so. I mean, it's, is it like the Tony Iommi band? It's Gray Sabbath. <laughs> not quite, so, not quite black there. enough. Right on. But I, I like that. I like the Tony Martin stuff. Yeah, I me think too. It's good. We'll have to maybe go back and do another, another side of Black Sabbath. <laughs> we could. There was a lot of fun stuff on that on that episode. It was. That was one of my most learning exper- experiences on oh, this show was God. that one. So much research on that oh, show. man. Talk about research. We've done a lot of it for this one this week. So we better get right back to it. Um, let's talk about 1989 in sports. Right. Um, starting out in the NFL, the San Francisco 49ers defeat the Cincinnati Bengals 20-16 in Super Bowl twenty three with MVP wide receiver for the 49ers, Jerry Rice. Yeah. Troy Aikman is chosen by the Dallas Cowboys as the first pick in the NFL draft. The Green Bay Packers choose Tony Mandrich at number two. Barry Sanders, Derek Thomas, and Deion Sanders are still on the board. Why? <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> they wanted the incredible bulk. <sighs> in the World Series, the Oakland A's sweep San Francisco Giants four games to zero. NBA, the Detroit Pistons sweep L.A. Lakers 40-0. That's uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's very last that season. That was an awesome series. It's uh, all-Canadian Stanley Cup, the Calgary, uh, Calgary Flames over the Montreal Canadiens four games to two. Still Wayne Gretzky, still wins the NHL MVP. Of course. Uh, NASCAR champion Rusty Wallace, male athlete of the year Joe Montana, female athlete of the year Steffi Groff. Wow. <laughs> and in the biggest news, uh, sports news story of the year, at WrestleMania Five at Trump Plaza at Atlantic City in the main event, a man who finds himself on the other side of things, the challenger Hulk Hogan, defeats Macho Man Randy Savage to regain the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. Not bad for a non-sport. It's real. <laughs> you saw what happened in February. Come there on. There you go. Right there. It was a great, uh, inter- it was a great inter- entertainment event. Yeah, it was. That was awesome. That's when the whole sports entertainment term got coined, I think, was around that time. Yeah. So um, The mega powers explode. And I remember that 49ers Bengals Super Bowl was an exciting game. Yeah, icky that. shuffle, all that good stuff yeah. back then. So move into April. News in April, April 9th. The Rolling Stones bassist Bill Wyman announces he's going to marry a 19-year-old girl who had been his girlfriend for six years. <laughs> That's where it's like the dramatic pause. He announces he's going to marry a 19-year-old who's been his girlfriend for six years. So she was 13 when they started dating, and he must have been about, what, 50 at that time? 50 at the time in what 89. The fuck? <laughs> how, does, wow. how does Bill Wyman get a pass on that? Right, it's like... Well, you know, kids, 1989 was a long time ago, and it was a different. I don't time. remember any. I don't remember any rage really about this at all. If that happened now, oh my God, that he'd never hear the end of it. No kidding, you're right. He's that a pedophile. Is, that is very strange. <laughs> what the fuck? 
I don't know. I don't know how that works. I guess because he's a member of the Rolling Stones. All right. They get a pass. Wow. Him and Ted Nugent. Oh, this is after they did the album Dirty Work. Mm. All right. Um, anyway, on to uh, thrash music. Uh, I've got a pick. Sepultura put out Beneath the Remains on April 7th. This was their third studio album, the first one released on Roadrunner Records. Claimed by many as a classic in the thrash industry. Yeah. Uh, recorded in Brazil and produced by Scott Burns. And if you heard the stuff they put out before this, this was kind of a quantum leap forward for them. Oh, man, sound. this was a massive leap forward. The stuff before this is... Uh, it's, it's not it's that listenable. Almost, yeah, it's almost unlistenable. Yeah, I mean, uh, the conviction was there, but it just didn't have the right sound. But No, the timing, everything was way off. And this is, you know, pre, this is good. This is pre-Roots and stuff like that, but it, it's still a really good album. And... Uh, this is a track called Stronger Than Hate. Of a uh, kill 'em all type sound to that to that stuff. I, I like it. Yeah. I like that stuff. That's good. Max Cavalera, Igor Cavalera. Heavy. Good old yeah. Sepultura. Yeah, I had to get a little bit of thrash into the into the episode, right? Oh yeah, there was some great thrash stuff coming out in '89. I think we probably got more of that coming up as we go. Speaking of thrash, on April 12th, <laughs> Michael Jackson's named the king of pop. Oh, I thought you were going to say he's named the king of thrash no. after receiving the Soul Train Heritage Award. I'm not sure what the hell that means. But it means you're the king of he's pop, the king of apparently. Pop. So, yeah. Somebody can just name you that, and that's what you become. And this was his sort and of his uh, second renaissance after the Bad album came out the year before. Yeah, yeah. this is kind of like where he starts to change colors and yeah. fall apart and, <laughs> and all that stuff. <laughs> Put them in water and they change colors. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Well, that was not meant to be racist. Let's and now for more rock and roll. Yeah, okay. What's uh, let's see. Up next, oh, I got one. It's a good one here. After being a pretty big deal in the U.K. since 1984, the cult hits it big everywhere else in 1989 with Sonic Temple. If uh, if you're going to make it big in rock in 1989, you better get Bob Rock. Yeah. He, he's going to make it happen for you. He's going to make you accessible to the Americans. You know, big overseas, now it's time to take over America. We need Bob Rock. Right. Uh, the single Firewoman was a huge hit on rock radio who never stopped overplaying it. Yeah, and I played it in the intro. 
Yeah, that song, you can hear it. Any any modern rock station, that's weird, though. It still gets they, a lot of They airplay. take that one cult song, and they, they throw it in the mix, and it comes up all the time. Yeah. But if they only knew that there was other great it's cult always, songs, too. It's either that or Love Removal Machine. Those are like the two that they always seem to play. Yeah, rarely the other one. Always, yeah. always Firewoman. Um, you know, other strong tracks on this album include songs like Sun King, American Horse, and Automatic Blues. Best Zeppelin song that Zeppelin never did. <laughs> a little bit of Black Dog in that one. Yeah, a little bit. It's good. You know, every successful rock band in 1989 is getting some exposure on MTV, and the cult is included in that. Besides Firewoman, there's videos made for Edie Chow Baby and Sweet Soul Sister. And, of course, the uh, now iconic rock album cover featuring Billy Duffy and his Les Paul. You know, that's, that's you an album cover. You think pissed off that, the rest of the guys? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you look back on it now, it's such a recognizable album oh, cover. Oh, totally. But yeah. maybe at the time, I bet you Ian Asbury was like, what the hell? Do you think one of the other members said, uh, how would I know? I'm just one of the out-of-focus guys in the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, number 10 on the U.S. Billboard album charts, number two in the U.K., and it is their highest charting album that, that's uh, ever been released by The Cult. Such a unique band. I mean, and like, and they well, they sure. crossed over genres, and we've talked about it before. But the people wanted to really pigeonhole them at, when this album came out. Like, it was right. like, oh, it's a hair band, and like they were anything but a hair band. There's a lot of these bands we're going to talk about in 1989 that are all kind of pigeonholed into the hair band thing. But there's really, you know, look at the difference between the difference between Skid Row mm -hmm. to Tesla to the Cult. You know, the difference between those bands. You know, are are pretty good. You know, but they're all still attention. kind of, yeah, put into that same the same bucket. And another another gr group that you know got unfairly lumped in um, was New Kids on the Block, right? <laughs> yeah. No, they weren't. I don't know what were they lumped in with. I don't know talent. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, April twenty fourth, Massachusetts declares that day New Kids on the Block Day. Wow! And it was a dark day for America. Jeez, <laughs> it seemed like in nineteen eighty nine, every day was New Kids no on the Block shit. Day. That stuff was everywhere. Yeah. You know, my grandma. You know, God rest her slow soul. I love her so much. You know, and miss her. But when I was a little kid, she went on a trip to Arizona and Mexico, mm -hmm. and she said, you know, I'm going to be looking for gifts for, for people, Aaron. <laughs> no. You know, what would you like me to bring you back? And I said, you know, hey, if you can find me some cool rock band T-shirts, that would be great. <laughs> you know, because in 89, you know, that's that's part of my everyday wardrobe. It's got to be uh, a black T-shirt with a band logo on it. Yeah. And, uh, of course, <laughs> she asks around and says, well, what are, what's a popular well, band? And, of oh, course, no. it's just, she comes back, and it's one of the things where it's like, Oh, yeah. Thanks, Grandma. 
She's yeah. like, oh, put it on. Oh, no, I think I'll... Uh, save it for a special occasion. Yeah, I'll save that one. <laughs> like when there's a bonfire. <laughs> you didn't, oh, you didn't put it on once just to see. It, I get, I'll, I'll tell that story in a SoundCloud sometime, <laughs> how, how the new kids on the block t-shirt actually came back out into my life. Oh, no. But in the meantime, we're talking about 1989, so we've got to talk about Great White twice shy all right now if you've never heard great white's cover of once bitten twice shy by ian hunter you were probably dead already by 1989 yeah because everyone <laughs> heard it if you were about our age then you probably seen the video on mtv a hundred times that year alone if you love hair nation on sirius xm you've probably heard it five times already today yeah it still gets played all the time the massive massive success of that single powered this album to the top of the charts but this one's packed full of other killer tracks as sure. well great album says there weren't deep lyrics in 1989. <laughs> deep. deep. <laughs> Gray White's fourth studio album is a follow-up to their uh, successful Once Bitten, released in 87, featuring what I believe everyone would consider to be the classic Great White lineup of Michael Lardy on guitar and keys, Audie Desbro on drums, Tony Montana on bass, Mark Kendall on lead guitar, and our good friend Captain Jack Russell on lead vocals. Yeah, awesome voice. Stellar production at the hands of Alan Niven on this one. Really? Did he produce it? Yep. He was our manager. Yep. Uh, Bobby Brown's in the videos. Oh, yeah. This is kind of her introduction. I think she might have done one or two before Gray White. but She did a horrible video for Hurricane. Hurricane, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah, and then she graduated <laughs> to Gray White and then went to Warrant and got married. Yeah. Um, it's a great album. Remember Wasted Rock Ranger? Mm-hmm. Man, that was like a drinking song for kids our age back then. Uh, huge album, double platinum sales, plus a Grammy nomination, number nine on the U.S. Billboard album charts. That hit single, Once Bitten, Twice Shy, number five on the singles yeah. charts in the States. The highest selling, highest charting album ever released by Great White. I'm yeah. starting to see a see a trend here. Well, and I remember thinking, you know, a lot of because a lot of ballads that were released around this time were fluff you know yeah. were a lot, they were wasn't a lot to them it was like okay standard issue record company ballad but house of broken love is a yeah. really great song even angel song and angel know? song is you also know, there's too. there's a lot of these bands in the 80s that came out with these ballads and some of them you're like you said are just really fluff you know yeah. they're really not good you know but then there's some and great white jack russell these guys are 
great at doing these ballads where they become a little bit deeper and a little bit stronger and a little more meaningful and a little more listenable, more listenable too. Mark Kendall's lead playing is just it's phenomenal. Oh man, those guys are awesome. I wish that, I'd get that back lineup. Man, if they could put that lineup right there back I'd together, go, I'd pay. To see I would it. definitely and buy the new album and whatever else totally. was needed. Totally. Yeah. All right, let's see. Keep on moving. You know, and we're talking about 1989 and the importance of MTV and the rock video boom of the mid to late 80s just cannot be overstated what we're talking about here today. MTV were kingmakers of bands totally. in 1989. They had the power to make you into a household name in the homes of every cable subscriber in the United States, or they could ignore you and, you know, you don't get that. Yeah. This causes many bands considered too crude for MTV to tone down their images in exchange for higher, higher levels of fortune and fame. <coughs> Motley Crue, <coughs> uh, but not Wasp. After releasing three albums of not suitable for primetime material, I've got to imagine that Blackie Lawless around this time has got to kind of come to a crossroads, you know, where he's got to decide, is it time to tone things down and, and write some love ballads? <laughs> I mean, he's you got to figure Blackie Lawless is looking at all these other bands that are making big bucks, you know, doing yeah. that, following that formula, cozying up to MTV, getting played in the afternoons around time school's getting out. Blackie Lawless doesn't do that. He's he doesn't follow trends, you know. No, he, he doesn't. He's he's Blackie. He does what Blackie does. He builds giant mic stands. That's right. And he releases the Headless Children. While it is a departure in style from previous albums, where the lyrics are sometimes you know offensive, just to to be offensive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just just lewd, just for lewdness' sake, kind of thing. You know, just to be over the top. On this one, the lyrics are a lot deeper and a little more thought provoking, but still hard rocking and heavy. You got Chris Holmes, Johnny Rod, and Frankie Benali on this one, and uh, this is pretty cool. Pete Townsend was quoted as saying that Wasp's cover of "The Real Me" was more how he wished the original version by The Who would have turned out. Really? Yeah, isn't that cool? Huh. And then, of course, all you got to do is look at the scary ass our album cover to know that Blackie wasn't selling out to. 
housewives, Mid America housewives, anytime soon. Well, uh, uh, that kind of Townsend quote kind of makes sense now because that makes sense on why Daltrey started throwing meat out into the audience on the next tour. <laughs> I guess he was trying to make make Pete happy. <laughs> We need more meat thrown at the audience. Right. More chainsaw. Try on this chainsaw jock strap. As I say, have a buzzsaw cod, cod piece. Yeah, buzzsaw. That's right. <laughs> uh, 48 on the U.S. Billboard album charts. Uh, it's much more well-received well, uh, well in Europe. But, yeah. You know, 48's not bad. He do, he produces it himself. He doesn't go get, you know, a fancy producer like Michael Wagner or Alan Niven. He uh, does it himself and, you know. He's not he's not bowing down to MTV. No. He'll take a little bit of airplay on MTV and a little bit of time on the news against what, the PMRC. What would a wasp power ballad sound like though? But you know, over the years Did they do any? Yeah, Blackie's done some stuff. I haven't followed you know, them as closely that's, as you that's have. a little bit, you know, they're not they're not fluff, I'll tell you that. Should we do a wasp discussion one of these days? The lighter side of wasp? No, like a, <laughs> a catalog discussion. Yeah, for sure. I'd love it. I'd love to do it. Because that's a band I want to learn more about, and that's the way I usually how, how I get into them more. It's kind of cool how we do these, and we just kind of go in chronological order, so I'm going to just kick back for a little while now. Oh, yeah, I guess it's my turn for a while, isn't it? Okay, um, man, this is... Uh, when If I had to make a list of most underrated albums ever this one would be on it because it's it's criminally horrible that this album didn't get a ton of attention because it's it's loaded with talent and the songwriting is stellar and the guitar playing holy shit yeah i'd go one step further and say this is one of the most underrated bands around oh totally that you know should i wish they had lasted longer i'm talking about blue murder and uh, i guess you could call it a a super group i mean because all the guys came from well-established artists yeah, John Sykes on guitar and vocals, and Tony Franklin and Carmine apiece. Yeah, and um, produced by Bob Rock, Little yeah. Little Mountain Studios in Vancouver. This is the self-titled album. Came out April twenty-fifth. The album is dedicated to Phil Lynott because uh, John Sykes had done a stint in Thin Lizzy there That's at right. the end. And uh, and it, of course, also famously, John wrote and played the vast majority of the White Snake nineteen eighty-seven album. That's true. He's the pretty much the mastermind behind the music on that album, right? Because Coverdale wasn't doing stuff like that back in the early '80s and and whatnot. If the no. White Snake was a much more blues-based band, and then uh, here comes John Sykes with his uh, shredding guitar. Check this out.
hear more than that, go to our Amazon link and buy that album because the whole thing is filled with awesome tunes. For sure. John Sykes freaking rules, and you'll find that along with all the other albums we're talking about here today in the show notes. Click on that. You go through the Decibel Geek link to Amazon. You help us out. You don't got to buy anything in particular. You don't got to spend a penny extra than you otherwise would have, but Amazon is cool enough to give us a little kickback here. Check out all this music. Support the artists. Yeah, that's... uh. That Blue Murder album, man, totally worth your worth your money. Yeah, I can imagine if you go to Amazon, it's probably not going to be that expensive, and it's going to, yeah, like Chris said, totally be worth it for you. Huge guitars, huge huge drums. It's great, great stuff. All right, we're making our way through the first part of the year pretty good. We're cooking right along. That brings us right up to May. All right, May 4th, the U- a U.S. jury convicts Oliver North in the Iran-Contra affair, and this was guess, a big deal. It was a big deal. I <laughs> guess I was too young to to really care or understand what was going on with all that. The main thing I remember of it is there was a skateboard trick I learned, and it was called Ollie North, and it was named <laughs> after him. The Ollie North. The Ollie North. Nice. That's where you, you basically do like a hand plant. You put you put hold on to the board with your feet and grab the board and put it like up over, like a handstand right. with a skateboard. That's an Ollie nice. North. And I think I accomplished it successfully one time out of a hundred. Hmm. But yeah, that, I remember it. I mean, it was he was involved with uh, selling arms off to other countries and stuff, which probably is pretty standard today. I'm sure you know it's a lot of stuff back then that we're probably still dealing with today. Which we're like, well, we're going to sell weapons to this group so they can fight that group, and now that they've defeated that group, they come after us. They're mad at us, <laughs> yeah. and you know, because we didn't give them enough weapons or more weapons, and yeah, you know, that's that stuff happening in 89 still comes back and bites us today sometimes i bet and that concludes the political portion all over the world not just us yeah so um and a great album that that came out in 89 was the debut album by dangerous toys yeah and uh this this band uh was from texas and fronted by jason mcmaster who's also known from a band called broken teeth and a kiss tribute band called sick ssik right on And, and jason's jason plays in like seven bands at a time Right, like even now. That's cool. So I guess that's the way to make it in music these days, playing seven different bands so you can pull enough money in to make as what you'd make on one back then. I guess, so yeah. So the guy, he's a hardworking guy. Um, this album's produced by Max Norman, who worked with Ozzy, Y&T, Loudness, and Megadeth. And uh, this album was certified gold in 1994, so it took a while. But big singles off this album were Scared and Teasing Pleasing. Great songs. But this is a cool track. This is a track called Queen of the Nile.
Want to be a member of the Decibel Geek Army? You slimy scumbag, get on your face and give me 25. Join us on our fan page at facebook.com slash decibelgeek. Def Leppard's Hysteria has finally reached the number one spot in Australia. It's taken two years and 16 million sales internationally, making it the biggest rock album ever. Rock it, baby! There's over an hour of state-of-the-art rock and roll, including Rocket and Love Bites. And the huge new single, Pour Some Sugar On Me. Def Leppard's Hysteria. 16 million great reasons to get it. They said it wasn't humanly possible. But now you can have all the power and excitement of Nintendo right in the palm of your hand. Introducing Game Boy. It's portable, it's in stereo, and its games are interchangeable. Plus, Game Boy comes with the outrageous new game, Tetris. And for head-to-head -head competition, use the revolutionary video link and blow your opponent away. Game Boy, only from Nintendo. Now you're playing with power, portable power. All right, we're back. More Decibel Geek Podcast. We're getting into the home stretch here, but we are looking at the world that was 1989. We're having fun doing it. Yeah, that was a little bit of White Lion, Little Fighter from the Big Game album that came out in June of 1989. If you uh, want to hear a cool talk with uh, Mike Tramp, Aaron got to conduct that a few months ago. Yeah. And check that the, in the archives. At the venue formerly known as the Rutledge. Yeah, the now defunct Rutledge. That's a bummer. I know. Uh, so let's talk about some movies that came out in 89. All right, top worldwide movies that came out in, in uh, 1989. Let's go a quick rundown the top ten. Number ten, Born on the Fourth of July. Mm -hmm. That was a pretty far old movie. It was a hard movie to watch. Yeah. Uh, number nine, totally different from that, The Little Mermaid. Also a hard movie to watch. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, number eight, Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, number seven, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Mm -hmm. That was pretty kick-ass for its time. I really liked that. Uh, Lethal Weapon 2 was hugely popular in 89. That was number six. Uh, number five, the late Robin Williams, Dead Poet Society. Uh, number four, Look Who's Talking. How funny was that in 89? In 89, very funny. Now, not so much. Not so much now, but back then it was pretty funny. Uh, number three, Back to the Future 2. Yeah. That was a big one. Uh, number two worldwide was Batman. In the United States, Batman was number one. Huge. Batman was everywhere in 89. When, in fact, when I was doing research and artwork for this episode, uh -huh. over and over again, Batman, Batman, Batman. Now you Batman, type in 1989 and it comes up all pictures of Michael over Keaton the, and yeah, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson everywhere. It, tons of, tons. It's still considered a huge, a huge thing for that year. Sure, sure it is. And uh, number one in the world, in the world of movies, was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, I love that movie. It was a huge one. And, uh, you know, some of my personal favorites that maybe just didn't quite crack the top ten. No holds barred. <laughs> Knew that was coming up. <laughs> that sports entertainment movie. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, UHF with Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah, that that's, was great That's movie. a classic with Kramer before he was Kramer. Yeah, The Burbs with yeah. Tom Hanks. That was a good one. The Dream Team, that was another one with Michael Keaton. Uh, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's Kickboxer. Yeah, that was a kickboxer. classic. I was a big Van Damme fan back then. Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, they're up to already in 89. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my all-time favorites, Pet Cemetery. Yep. Stephen King. 
Um, Uncle Buck came out in 89. That's a great movie. My kids Even love still, that movie. That's yeah. funny as hell. I mean, John Candy, that guy is timeless. Yeah. You know, I'm going to mi- always miss him. Um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. We're going to be seeing a lot of that on TV here in the next few oh, weeks. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, other big movies that I really liked in 89, Major League. I love that movie. Roadhouse. Nobody puts... No, oh, that's... That's Dirty Dancing. Nobody puts baby in a corner. <laughs> I'm getting my Swayze movies confused. You're getting your Swayze. Roadhouse was a uh, Roadhouse was a pain donor. Yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> that was a good movie. Um, another one of my favorites, Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, that was a great movie in '89, and my personal number one favorite movie Mine of too. 1989. <laughs> yeah, I figured you'd agree with this. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yes, loved it. And we have Aaron and Chris's excellent podcast. That's it. That's pretty much sums it's up kind what of the this blueprint is. for what we do. <laughs> totally excellent. Uh, bogus. Bogus. <laughs> Whoa. All right. Iron Maiden. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Put them in the Iron Maiden. Excellent. Excellent. Execute them. Bogus. Yeah. Although I think. We could, we could probably sit here and quote that whole movie. Oh, if totally. We just got like the first couple lines. And, we could just run it. And part two is every bit as good, if not better. Than if not the better. First one. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Actually, I hope. Well, I know he ain't going to listen. I bought my kid both copies of that for Christmas. Oh, really? Yeah. Because he's never seen it. That'll be fun to watch. And three is supposed to be coming out. Yeah. They're soon. supposed to be working oh, on it. I can't wait. Cool. Okay, so uh, I got the next one. Uh, I could not, couldn't not put play this band on the this one. Badlands came out with their self titled debut in 1989. Yeah, May 11th it came out. Recorded at One on One Studios in L.A. in the record plant in New York. Produced by Paul O'Neill, who worked with Aerosmith, Sabotage, and Metal Church. Uh, the song I'm about to play was well, kind of the hit from the album, and uh, it's actually being played now with jake's new band red dragon cartel oh really yeah they, That's they cool. broke it out again jake's not a big fan of it himself but he knew the crowd wanted to hear it because it huh. was a big hit for him and it's a great song and uh he's got badlands original bassist greg chasen is now playing in uh red dragon cartel with jake oh that's cool so as you hell. got kind of awesome. a half uh, red Dra- half badlands reunion going on there that's pretty cool this is dreams in the dark out by Ray Gillen and Kiss drummer Eric Singer. Heck yeah, man. Jake E. Lee coming back strong after being jettisoned from the Ozzy Osbourne band in 89. Yeah. Good stuff. And actually, I saw the Meister, one of our writers, just put up an article that the Red Dragon Cartel was the band he saw the most in 2014. I think he said he saw them like six times nice. over the year, and he said that's not, even that's not enough. So. That's good, man. Those guys are hard workers, and they're all over the place. If they're coming to your area, check them out. Come to Nashville. That'd be awesome. They should. We did good for Sebastian Bach. Well, you know, yeah, we did. We packed it out for him. Yeah. 
So uh, what's let's see what we got next? Okay, uh, May 25th. Okay, May 25th. Mikhail Gorbachev is named the Soviet president. We better just mo- keep. Let's just stick to the music. We're gonna get in trouble if we keep going. He politics. had the cool thing on his forehead. Though. Yeah, he did. That was an awesome tattoo. That's I all I wanted. I to can. Say. I can never figure out what country that was. He had tattooed on his forehead. I just assumed it was somewhere in Russia. I thought it was grape juice. Grape juice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A little tobacco spit stain or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on to the, back on to the music. Wait, we are political. <laughs> yeah. We're, that's, we're talking about grape juice. Okay. Uh, Wine stains. On May 23rd, the Ramones released their 11th studio album called Brain Drain, produced by Jean Bouvoir, Bill Laswell, and Daniel Ray. And oh, Kiss, yeah. I know that guy. Kiss fans know who Jean Bouvoir is. Sure. Uh, wrote plenty of songs with Paul Stanley in the 80s and... Of course, also a member of the Plasmatics. Yeah. Um, this is the last album to feature Dee Dee, although he he barely, if at all, played on this album because he, well, the heroin had gotten him pretty yeah. bad by that point. The song I'm going to play has uh, been covered by Eddie Vedder and Zeke for the We're a Happy Family tribute to the Ramones album. That's actually a really cool cover. Really good cover. And it's still covered uh, regularly by Pearl Jam at their shows. Right on. This is I Believe in Miracles. a pretty cool song uh, that they hit off the album was the pet cemetery song that they put out oh there. yeah and uh that got the I got pretty good mtv exposure on that song never the ramones never got the breakthrough hit that they always thought should have gotten but uh they no. it's, it's i've never seen a band where more t-shirts sold than records it's yeah that's funny and people a lot of times you go say hey cool shirt yeah you know, i found this at the hot yeah, topic they, well, do you know what a ramon is no that's <laughs> like people like the idea of being a ramones fan but they're not really a fan i don't right i don't i've never don't understood that me on the other hand i've got all their albums and i don't own a don't shirt have a t-shirt <laughs> yeah that's funny <laughs> Love the music, won't wear a t-shirt. I need to rectify that and get a shirt one of these days. Damn mustaches over there ruined it for us. (laughs) That's cool, man. The Rhone's still kicking ass in 1989. Um, Up next, I've got one here. This is a follow-up to their moderately successful 1987 album, Visual Lies. I'm talking about Lizzie Borden coming back in 1989 with the album Master of Disguise. Lizzie Borden, known for their straight-ahead anthemic rock songs, you know, and over-the-top stage antics. Lizzie Borden returns this year with something a little bit different. It's it's a blend of the like classic Lizzie Borden sounding rockers, you know, along with some ready for but still not played by MTV styled ballads. It's got female backing vocalists. It's even got an orchestra orchestra on here. Really? 
I think Lizzie might have been going for some cor- some sort of like Ezra esque idea of a heavy metal version of the Wall or something. Hmm. You know, but in '89, some of the longtime Lizzie Borden fans see it more like an elder, and it doesn't sell as well as previous Lizzie Borden albums. Nonetheless, features some pretty awesome music. Every time you pick a Lizzie Borden song, I start listening to it, and then I'll listen to the rest of the album and everything. Yeah. And, I, and I even sent you a message like, "How the fuck are they so underrated?" Because this is like, I don't know, because it's stuff even I missed out on. I'm like, I'll hear it, and I'm like, why was I not a fan of this stuff back in the day? Well, Lizzie Borden was another band that was a lot more well received outside the United States yeah. than in the states, and uh, the band would go on to tour on this album for a couple of years. You know, they toured on this album. And uh, they, of course, appeared prominently in The Decline of Western Civilization, Part 2, The The Metal Metal Years. Years. And then they basically uh, disappear for a while until the rubble's cleared from the great grunge movement that no one yet knows is coming. But uh, I think this album's much more critically acclaimed today than it was at the time of its release. It's kind of become like a cult yeah. class. You think they stepped a little far out of the box back in the day, and people are like, what are they doing? Yeah, you yeah. know, because you go from, you know, American metal and me right. against the world to something like that. You, you know, know it's, the axe. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's far out, you know, but it's still it's a pretty great it's album. Still, I, I mean, like it. That, I mean, that's competitive with anything else that was out there at the yeah. time. Like I, I said, even this one, you know, it had the... They're ready for MTV ballads, but MTV just wasn't playing them. Lizzie Borden was just a little too weird for, you know, MTV in the middle of the afternoon on American I TVs. I guess so. Um, so we're in June, and uh, June 20th, Mr. Big re- releases their self-titled debut album. And uh, this was uh, produced by Kevin Elson, who worked with Europe, Journey, and Leonard Skinner. It reached number 46 on the Billboard 200. This wasn't their breakthrough. The breakthrough, of course, came with Lean Into It with the To Be With You power ballad. Oh, yeah. And um, But it's funny how they got characterized as like just a hair group that played power ballads because that song was so different than everything else they did. Right. Because you had Paul Gilbert and Billy Sheehan you know, on bass and guitar, and those guys are fucking virtuosos. Oh, yeah. And Billy they, Sheehan's amazing. And most of the music was built to show off their musical prowess right and then eric martin you know what a set of pipes on the guy yeah. and they a super talented band but that 
Mr. Big was kind of a super group. They kind of were, and um, the the leadoff single "Addicted to That Rush" was was a bit well known, but it wasn't their yeah. breakthrough just yet. Um, but uh, it brought some mainstream. That reached number thirty nine on the mainstream rock chart. But this is a cool track. This, is, but a little bit more basic. But I love the sound of the song. This is "Blame It on My Youth." Mr. Big is kind of like if you took all the guys from all the music magazines that won all the biggest awards and just put them into one band. Said, <laughs> so, "All right, guys, get started. Get to work. Here you go. It's done." <laughs> yeah, talented bunch of guys, man. Heck yeah, Mr. Big's awesome. Still going Still strong. Around, yeah. yeah, put a couple albums out as a reunited act. Had one this last year. Came out. Yeah, and uh, Ace actually the guy that played drums for Ace Frehley's new album is playing drums with him now. Right now, oh, right on. Matt Starr. All right, so let's see what we got left here. You got a couple more. Well. It was on a bleak and desolate day as the skies broke open and filthy rain poured down upon the gray and lifeless landscape. On that day in June, somewhere in Seattle, in the disgusting putrid mud, a single black seed cracks open and sprouts. This guy with the sandwich board on the Sunset Strip was right. The end is near. All righty. All right. Another band that's forming their own niche in 1989, really doing their own thing, is Faith No More. And Faith No More is a band that's actually been around in various incarnations since 1979. What? But, yeah, but it wasn't until they hired Mike Patton as a lead vocalist and released The Real Thing in 1989 did they really make their mark. 79? 79. Did you know that Big Jim Martin and Cliff Burton were in a band together in San Francisco way back in the day? No, it's got some other really cool name. I can't think of the name offhand now. Huh. It was a really cool name, but it must have been when they were kids. So Didn't know that. Those guys have been doing it forever. So, yeah, Faith No More, the roots go way back. But 
Takes them a long time to make it. They need the right components, and Mike Patton is it. Um, of course, you know, pushed heavily by M- MTV for the video, the single Epic. That thing's in constant rotation. Um, although they would tour with Guns N' Roses and Metallica in right. the future, and the Epic video was all often sandwiched in between videos like Janie's Got a Gun and Kickstart My Heart, Faith and War quickly established themselves as a different kind of rock band. World's Music Magazines would award this one Album of the Year of 1990. Oh, yeah. E- even though the real thing is released in the middle of 89, it's a slow burn that actually doesn't even chart until the spring of the following year. Yeah, I don't really remember noticing it till 90. Yeah, because it really didn't, you know. Of course, it was once MTV started pushing the video, everybody remembers the flopping fish. Oh, yeah. And the big deal that was made about that for the epic video. Um, The tour for this album would actually be the first time the band played live with Mike Patton. Hmm. He comes in before they start writing writing music for this album, so they've never even played live together until the album comes out and they start touring for it. Yeah, because he was, wasn't he doing the Mr. Bungle thing before that? They got rid of Chuck Mosley and brought him in. Right. Wow. Um, let's see. Faith and More would go on to do the uh, play the MTV Music Awards, and of course that Saturday Night Live performance, you know, really helps rocket these mm-hmm. guys in popularity. And you know, Faith No More. This this one goes to eleven on the U.S. album charts in 1990. It's huge all over the world, especially Australia. Um, the single Epic was number two in the U.S., number one in Australia. See what I'm saying? Uh, multiple Grammy Award nominations in 1991. Really, it takes yeah. it. Yeah, it That's takes it a burn. while. And uh, Faith No More would go on to uh, enjoy a long career of being weird and different. Hmm. But that's okay. Great band. Yeah, and I the kind of a little bit of a funk sound coming in. You know. Yeah, they were. It was kind of a breath breath of fresh air. But these guys weren't. You know, it's not like Faith No More was like on the crest of the grunge movement because they weren't grunge. No. You know, and they weren't. They were somewhere in between what was and what was coming. Kind of like Ugly Kid Joe. Kind of like Ugly like Kid Joe. Two of the more unique bands. A little bands. bit of Red Hot Chili Peppers. A little yeah. bit kind of falls in there, too. You know, they got the funky 
you know, late 90s kind of groove going on. Yeah, definitely unique, unique. I love it. Love Faith No More. And I got a unique band to play the show out. But uh, before we go, guys, remember to uh, check out DecibelGeek.com. Got a ton of great articles going there and a, uh, a new redesign coming in the new year. A new what? A new redesign of the website. Oh, a redesign. Yeah. Nice, finally. Yeah, People have been asking for that for a while. <laughs> been, we, th- we think we found the right guy to do the job. It's funny. Every it's going to be me. Every time we've updated that thing, we think, well, this is great, man. This is really awesome. And then within a week or so, it becomes outdated. It all needs oh, to be fixed. It's a good site, but it's uh, it 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 doesn't. The format's wrong because we have too many writers now. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we need. Because when we started it under this format, like we didn't three have writers. that many. Yeah. Now we've got people all over the all world over the globe you know yeah. bringing back the rock and roll news all the time at decibelgeek.com while you're there checking out those awesome articles and i happen to know because i'm a guy that's you know behind the scenes here at decibel geek a little bit there's some really cool stuff coming up on the website they got some big stuff planned for this hol- holiday season and the upcoming impending end of the year so right. keep your eyes open on that while you're there you're doing some christmas shopping your last minute stuff you it's this week if you're going to get on amazon and order something you better do it real soon because you're running out of time and if you're going to do that the best way like we said go through the amazon link at www.decibelgeek.com go get you that big uh mr big album get you some uh dare i say it nirvana they need help with the album sales right you know go 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 get yourself a dvd a weekend at bernie's whatever you get on amazon it doesn't matter because when you do it through the decibel geek link you're helping us out while you're there go ahead and get a t-shirt yeah it's the gift that keeps on giving yeah seeing them pop up everywhere now that's very cool so, uh, all right, I got uh, one more to play off the show with, and uh, man, this is a gr- this is a great album and a great band, and uh, dr- the drummer is a great guy. And oh yeah, King's X released Gretchen Goes to Nebraska in, six- in uh, June twenty seventh, and uh, we're at- when we come back next week, we'll do July through December. But uh, this- can't wait. This was their second studio album produced by Sam Taylor. Sorry, guys, I'm belching. I just had dinner. Um, concept album was based around a short story written by drummer Jerry Gaskill. And uh, in an interview, he said there was somebody asked him, you know, how the name came about. And was it you? Did no, you? Were you the interviewer? No, it wasn't asking? me. Oh, because <laughs> this was. I a, happen to know you have interviewed. I have interviewed him yeah. twice, actually. Yeah. Um, I, he said it actually started as a joke. Six or seven years ago, we were unloading the truck and we were throwing out these silly album titles, and one of our roadies just came out, came up with it off the top of his head. So we just said, yeah, someday we're going to call an album that. Gretchen Goes to Nebraska. Yeah, Gretchen Goes to Nebraska. And he says, we just saw him on our last tour, and we told him we named the album because you said that. He didn't even remember it. <laughs> so they were probably thinking he's going to really be impressed, and he's like, I don't right. remember saying that. Really? Yeah. I don't know that. That's so weird. guys. Uh, you guys are weird. So yeah, the closing out uh, June of 1989. This is King's X with Over My Head, and we'll see you next week. For part two.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 